Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. So tell me what is going on with you this week. What is going on with me? Not not too terribly much. Since we last spoken and last done a podcast, we got the great news that for the second year in a row, there is no buffer for Boston qualifying times um, entries into the, into the race so that everyone who applied, who had a qualifying time has been accepted to the race. So that was awesome news. We were so glad because we actually have some runners who qualified by um, sort of narrow, narrow margins that we're worried about getting in. We actually have one runner who qualified by one second and she got into the race. So we are uh, really happy about that. And, um, you know, so we, you and I, and everybody else has kind of started making our plans for Boston, which makes me excited. I know it's like not even October yet, but um, I, I always get excited about Boston, start looking forward to it about this time of year. It is so exciting. And, you know, it's also fair. We've talked about this for years. If you meet your Boston qualifying time, you should be able to run the race. And as coaches, it's such a relief to us when we hear that news because it is so frustrating for our runners and for any runner. When you meet that time, you feel like just such a champ. And then all of a sudden, womp, womp, oh, the cutoff this year is three minutes and 30 seconds. And I ran, you know, in four minutes or whatever. So it just, um, it really helps tremendously when we hear that news and, Props to the Boston Marathon for uh, providing it relatively soon after registration. So they didn't even make people wait too long, and that's great. But not props to the city of Boston and the hotels in Boston for the price gouging. We understand there's plenty of folks who secured rooms through Marathon Tours. And yes, Marathon Tours is great. But the reality of it is there are plenty of folks that didn't want to commit to marathon tours for the reason we just discussed. And that is people weren't sure if they would get into Boston, or maybe they just weren't sure how many rooms they needed or what family members were coming or for whatever reason, decided instead to wait and look and see if they could secure a room after they found out whether or not they were in the race. And we have been running this race for years. I mean, between us, we have what, 31 Boston marathons between us, Lisa, and what number are you? I think we're 33. How, how many will this be for you this year? Uh, this year will be my 13th. Yeah. So this year will be our 33. We have yeah. 31. This year will be our 30. Okay. Yeah. Meaning we've seen hotel rooms. We've seen price gouging. We have never seen this kind of price gouging. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's criminal. And we say this also because, you know, it's hard enough to get into Boston it should not be a race where not only are you concerned about, am I going to meet the time, but can I afford this? And it's unaffordable. It is shutting people out who deserve to be there uh, because people understand there are travel expenses, but the rooms seriously are like a thousand dollars a night for a hotel moderately close to the start line or finish line. And it's, it's ridiculous. And I don't think enough folks are talking about this. It's a problem. Runners are out there doing their best, working hard, grinding day to day, trying to meet a goal, and they should not be prohibited from participating because they can't afford a freaking hotel room. 
Yep. And I just helped one of our runners look for a hotel room. Um, and she ended up getting one in Cambridge, which isn't obviously too far. It's certainly walkable or easy ride distance. And, and that was the least expenses she could find. And it was $450 a night um, in Cambridge. And there are definitely options if you're willing to stay 10, 15, 20 miles out, which is, is certainly doable, especially if you have a rental car, but um, you're right. We shouldn't have to be, uh, you know, I, I look at it, like you said, we've run this for many, many years. And I look, I was looking back recently at my hotel receipts or our hotel receipts from the same hotel over many years. And just as, as recently as maybe um, probably pre-pandemic 2019, it was about $250, $300 a night, which at the time was expensive. We thought it was expensive, right? And then the next year by 2021, when we went in October, it was up to about $350 a night. And this year it's up to almost $500 a night, at the same hotel. So it just it was interesting to watch the, the trajectory in the same hotel, the per rate, the per night rate over the last four or five years, um, almost double. And, and that is really, um, it, it's tough. And it also puts uh, people in a, in a tough position where a year ahead of time, you're trying to secure your, um, your hotel reservations. And, and it's not just the hotel, it's airfare. If you're flying in, um, it's the expense of meals and food and everything else that's associated with, um, with travel. But it is, it's just uh, remarkable to me how much of an increase. I mean, look, obviously there's an increase from the first year I ran it in uh, 2001, you know, clearly then I think it was maybe a hundred dollars a night for a hotel. Um, and you know, the other thing is that a lot of hotels now have, um, minimums too. So, um, you know, two, three night minimums, or so you kind of get blocked out of certain hotels. If you, if you can't meet those minimums, um, we can talk a little bit about our strategy, uh, for, which doesn't work so much anymore. It used to be pretty, used to be pretty good, but our strategies, we typically go on uh, booking.com, bookings.com and book a refundable rate so that if we find something less expensive as the date gets closer, then we can swap it out. Um, used to be great. We used, I remember one year, Julie, I don't remember if you remember the year we went and at the last minute we decided the hotel we had booked was not, they, I think they were going to give us one small bed and we decided we didn't want that. So we canceled that and we were literally standing on the streets on an app on a like booking.com app or hotels tonight app. And we found um, another hotel for a really great price nearby. And it, it didn't tell you until, you know, we booked it what it was. And it was the Langham Boston, which now is yeah, that was 2014. It was 2014. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That was 2014. Yes, exactly. So, so, um, you know, and we got that for maybe a couple hundred dollars a night and that's a hotel that is now, I think about $800 a night. So, um, so our strategy doesn't always work but for anyone who's looking into hotels, marathon tours and travel, obviously books, um, blocks. So they get some discounted, uh, rates, but they sell out really fast. Uh, but booking.com is an option or is it bookings.com or booking.com? Um, uh, you know, hotels tonight is another hotel tonight is another option. Um, so you can try, um, those routes, but they are not as, uh, they're not as, uh, as, as helpful as they were in the past. No, I used to use Hotwire even in the past Hotwire. and, and it was great. And like you said, I, we would book refundable rooms, then check Hotwire and see what we could get, but nothing is working. And we understand part of it too, is of course the industry needs to make up for what they lost in the pandemic. And, and certainly weekends like this allow the, um, tourist industry, the travel industry to be able to do that. But it's frustrating that it's it truly is likely causing many runners to opt out of Boston as a result. And that will continue because this, this is not normal. So the other avenue of course is Airbnb, VRBO, but we've heard about runners who have booked such uh, accommodations. And then at the last minute uh, they've been canceled. So 
that is risky as well. So we have no solution. I think the point of this discussion is just, just share with our listeners. We, we feel you and we think it's completely wrong. And, uh, we wish that the BAA had a little clout with this to communicate with the tourist, you know, tourism industry in Boston, because certainly they make runners feel so welcome, but actually we don't right now because it's, it's really cost prohibitive. Yeah. I think good point too, about, um, Airbnbs, uh, you know, being, uh, being aware that those can get canceled last minute. And I believe, I know a few years ago, and I think it's still in place, the city of Boston put in a, uh, a, a moratorium on short-term rentals. Um, so you can't do an Airbnb for right in Boston. You might be able to do one for a surrounding town, um, but just have a backup plan if you do that, because we have heard of a lot of people whose reservations were canceled last minute. So that's a good point. Yes. Okay. So moving on to things we can solve. Uh, let's talk about, first of all, uh, Berlin this weekend. We were so excited. Speaking of Boston, we had some great runs. Our runners did really well at Berlin. It was really fun to see. And first of all, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, Omar's story? Because I think it's really relatable. Yeah. Omar, Omar is great. We, we love Omar. Omar Omar is a local runner here. So we've known him, you know, locally um, through our local running club and Omar came to us probably a year ago now, um, you know, looking to, to really uh, improve his performance at the marathon distance. And, and Omar um, has GERD. It's a, you know, a really acid, it's a kind of chronic acid reflux. It's, it's an actual condition, chronic acid reflux. And so he's always kind of struggled with, with how to manage that um, during races. And, and we've, tried a, a bunch of different things. And we've, we've practiced just like we encourage all of our runners to practice during training. So we did that for his, um, he had a marathon in May in Canada and we did that and we thought we had it kind of dialed in and he had a bird attack at about mile 15, I think in that race. So we took that lesson from that and said, all right, we got to figure out for um, Berlin. We knew he was in for Berlin. We said, got to figure out for Berlin, how to, how to avoid that for next time. So we've been spending this buildup really practicing in all of his runs, different approaches, um, different timing of meals, different contents of meals, um, and figuring out what works and what doesn't, because he had some GERD attacks on long runs. And we said, all right, well, you know, figured out that if he ate too soon, too close to the time, if he ate a dinner the night before, like a larger dinner the night before, he would typically have a GERD attack. So we kind of dialed in an an approach and we tried it on some training runs and it seemed to work. He was, he was doing well and um, he, you know, settled on using Tailwind and Morton, which both seemed to not bother his GI system during his runs. Um, so, so, you know, again, we kind of had determined that if he ate too close to running, he would have this reflux and it would it bother him. So we, we focused really on fueling the week before the marathon and really stocking his, his glycogen stores through kind of carb loading and, and, um, you know, carbs that, um, you know, foods that didn't uh, upset his GI system. And he did a really good job of that. And we had a solid plan for fueling. Um, he did not eat breakfast the morning of, because we were afraid that if he ate something solid, he ate something, it would come back up, but, um, or, you know, it would cause a GERD attack. Um, so it was great. He did not have a GERD attack, but he did feel a drop in his, his energy stores, the second half of the race. So, um, you know, kind of became clear to us that the Morton and the tailwind which were cutting it on training runs, because again, when you're running a training run, you're running a slower pace. You're not burning glycogen as fast, just didn't work when he was running race pace and burning glycogen faster. So uh, when he gets home, 
uh, we are going to have him connect with one of our dietitians, see if we can get a more in-depth look at what's going on and really figure out um, how to dial this in. But I, I, what I love about Omar is that he always has a positive attitude. And he always comes back saying, you know what? It was a great experience. It was a good lessons learned. Um, he still got in one of the marathon majors, a, an amazing race, and he still did well. So it wasn't that, you know, he, he did horribly or he was hurt or injured or stumbled in, you know, through the finish line. He, he still finished. It just, his energy stores dropped in that second half. So we're still working on, on figuring that out. I just think it's so relatable because we all have issues, um, with trying to troubleshoot, shoot something that we in training may appear to be working. And then when you get out on race day, sometimes your body reacts a little differently, but I really believe based on all the work you and Omar did that his training actually helped him finish on race day. He didn't completely fall apart at all. He just slowed down. And perhaps if he hadn't had that experience in training, that wouldn't have been the case. So I think it's yeah. just really relatable. And then also with Berlin, we had two, um, great runs with, uh, first of all, with a body, a body is, has been a runner with us since 2020 and his ultimate goal was to qualify for Boston. And a body did that at Berlin after several very close attempts and an age group bump, a body uh, met his goal. And it was so exciting when that text came through and he crossed the finish line and he said, I had a BQ. I swear I was like in tears. So happy for him. He's such a hard worker. He puts his head down and just does the work. But one thing about a body that I think is, is something that everyone can learn from. He runs his easy runs really easy. So a body, someone that, uh, in his, in his program through MCRC, he's an XMP, which is a experienced marathon program that he does. So we can run with his friends, which many of our runners do, uh, he'll be put, let's say in an 845 pace group. He always runs slower than that. He'll move back a few groups. He'll run as easy as possible for him. And, and even if that means not running specifically with the people he was slated to run with and why, because he knows his body and he knows by running his easy runs easy, he's going to be able to better recover between runs and nail his speed work. And every Tuesday he'd do a speed workout with us. And every Tuesday his speed work was spot on and a body was just really good at listening to his body. If he needed to take a day off or two, if he just wasn't feeling it, he would. There were a couple of days during his training cycle where he didn't feel well, took those days off or when he was supposed to do speed work, but he just wasn't feeling it. So we ran easy and cumulatively this all worked in his favor. He went out there in Berlin, ran a smart race and achieved his goal. So congratulations to a body and congratulations to our runner Vivian. So many people saw our Facebook post about Vivian about a month ago when a car unfortunately ran into her home in Gaithersburg, Maryland, causing a fire in her home. Thankfully she and her partner were unharmed and they were able to get out safe, but unfortunately uh, their home, home is uninhabitable and they did not have many of their belongings and she particularly did not even have her running shoes. So as a result, our local running store R&J and our Lululemon store for whom we are ambassadors, Lululemon Crown stepped in and outfitted her with some clothing and some shoes. And she remained positive and kept training for Berlin, ran the Parks Half Marathon as a tune-up in the middle of all of this, and went out there and ran Berlin in a 356. Her goal when she first came to us was to run something around uh, 345 to 355. And she came right in there in 356 with all of this stress 
and really just kicked butt. But I think the lesson for Vivian is when all of this happened to Vivian last month, she still had her training cycle under her belt. She didn't lose all of that cumulative mileage. And certainly she wasn't expecting this to happen. And certainly setbacks like this and stress like this can affect your body. But those cumulative miles did not go away as a result. And she was able to use that past training to go into Berlin confident and finish the race strong. So congratulations to all three of our runners who ran Berlin this weekend. And we are very we had more. We had six. Us. We had six runners in Berlin this weekend. Oh, we I'm also sorry. had Eric and Catherine, who Eric and Catherine yes, last yes, year yes. had run uh, Berlin. And uh, Catherine, about mile 20, had a medical emergency, a medical uh, situation where we think looking back, um, you know, we didn't coach them at this point. They came to us after. So look, just looking back on her recollection of it sounds like a electrolyte issue, but they had to step off the course at mile 20. So they didn't finish last year. And their goal was to finish strong side by side. And they not only finished strong, but they negative split. They ran their last two miles the fastest and they finished it together, um, crossing, crossing that finish line and getting that medal. And Deb Westfall, who um, we uh, love, we've had a long uh, relationship with Deb and Deb has, uh, really fought hard to get to Berlin. She uh, was training for a number of races right before the pandemic and everything got canceled the first year. So she'd be training and be canceled and training and canceled. And uh, she did not make it to Berlin until this year. And so for her to get to Berlin and not only does she have Berlin, but she has Chicago. So that's something that's a little tricky for us when runners have two races close together, but we can work with them to make sure um, that they train properly and they execute properly so that they can and recover properly so they can do that. So she's got Chicago um, coming up too. So speaking of upcoming marathons, I'm very excited for our series of, um, of, of episodes that we have coming up. Uh, we are going to feature uh, race directors and race officials, uh, staff on you know, race staff from some of the bigger fall marathons that we have coming up. And I'm particularly excited about today's because my goal race for the fall is Indie Monumental. So it's in November. I've never done the race before. We've heard really good feedback. We have a number of runners running the half or the full at Indy. So I'm really excited to actually get to meet some of these runners that we've never met before from all over the country who are coming into Indy. Indy has a great reputation um, as a fast course, great time of year weather. So we were very excited to welcome Rob Mullet, who is the events and operations manager uh, for the Beyond Monumental team, which puts on the Indy Monumental Marathon. Rob is awesome. Rob is uh, from England originally, as you'll hear from his accent. And he um, ended up in Indianapolis when he came to Butler University, uh, where he became the first sub four minute miler in school history. Um, and uh, he actually went on to represent Great Britain in the 3000 meter steeplechase at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio. Um, and he did the uh, 5K for uh, the Indy Monumental weekend in 2015 and set the course record for that for that 5K. Um, so uh, Rob joined us to talk about uh, the the race weekend. He gives us some good insider tips to the course. Um, you know, he's uh, been in Indy for a very long time. He took a short break to go to Atlanta and work uh, with the Atlanta Track Club, um, but he's back in Indy now. So he gives us some really great insider tips. Um, talks to us about why Indy is such a great course. And we hope that anyone who's running Indy or considering running Indy uh, will, will benefit from his tips and really it's just some good general tips. So even if you are not running the race and you haven't considered it yet, I think uh, if you listen to the to, to his interview, uh, you may be inspired to, to run it, add it to your race list. Yeah, I, I think I really enjoyed this interview and we wanted to kick off our series with this interview because it got both of us excited about this race and I'm not even running it. And I was listening like, this sounds like a great race. So yeah. And then 
we're doing several other races. Why don't we go ahead and list them so we can share with everyone and they can share them with whomever they know who are running them. We're covering Chicago, Philly, CIM, of course, Indy and Marine Corps. Corps. Yes. Yep. So look for those over the coming weeks and we will make sure to roll these out in a timely manner for those who are preparing. Uh, and if there are any races that you want us to feature that we haven't, um, we can do that for future episodes. We're happy to do that, but we hope that people find this helpful as they prepare for the races. And of course, if anyone ever has any specific questions that they would like us to ask, please feel free to shoot us an email at julianlisa at runfarthereandfaster.com. Before we go, I just want to direct everyone to an article that came out this week in Time Magazine. Uh, it was written by Emma Zimmerman, who is the host of the Coffee and Conversations podcast, a running podcast, and also a sub-professional uh, sub runner. She definitely runs some really fast times, and she, like so many other runners we know, had COVID, and it really derailed her running. And she wrote this piece for Time Magazine, which we shared on our Facebook page and we share with our runners to talk about what helped her be able to avoid lingering COVID when she realized that's what was happening to her was to actually not run and to actually take radical rest. And we want to share this not to be Debbie Downers, but we've talked about this a lot in our podcast. We really wish we didn't have to, but a lot of folks out there who are training are getting COVID and it's mild cases for the most part. Thank God. However, when you are a runner and you are following a training schedule and you are eager to get back on that schedule, remember that you have all of that cumulative mileage behind you. And one of the worst things you can do while you have mild symptoms is to try and run through it. Radically rest until your symptoms are gone. Do not try and run through it because from what we're seeing with runners in particular, those symptoms will linger. And that is why we're sharing this. Doctors are not necessarily sharing this. It's not really information that is out there so much in the running community. We are seeing it as coaches. We are seeing it as runners. And we are just letting everyone know out there as a reminder, don't run through symptomatic COVID. Please don't, even if it's super mild, wait until your symptoms are done. Wait a few days. In fact, test it out. See how you feel. If you're still feeling funky after run, wait a few more days. Don't worry about your training schedule. You still have that cumulative mileage. You just don't want to derail all the progress you've made by pushing too soon, too fast. Well said. All right, Lisa. Well, have a great week. Yeah. One thing, another thing I wanted to add before I forget, uh, next Saturday, we have a group run from Lululemon Gaithersburg. So anyone local who's listening wants to come join us, uh, 9am Lululemon Gaithersburg. It's in downtown crown. Um, come join us. We're going to do our October group run. Great. All, all right. levels, all do? levels, all paces, all distances. We do a one mile loop so you can do as many as you want. So looking forward to that. All right. Sounds good. All right, have Julie, a have, a, have a great week. Bye. Bye. Rob Mullet. Welcome to the run farther and faster podcast. We're so happy to have you today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Like I explained before we got, um, before we started recording, a little bit of self-interest here. I'm coming out to run the uh, Indy Monumental Marathon for the first time uh, in November. So um, we, you know, definitely wanted to have somebody from the race on to talk to us about the race and talk to our listeners 
about the race, how to have a successful race, especially those of us who are coming out to Indy for, for the first time. So before we get started, though, um, you are quite you know an accomplished runner yourself. You've uh, worked with a lot of um, marathons and in the running community for a long time. So tell us just a little bit about you, how you you know ended up in Indianapolis, sort of your running background. Uh, yeah, so I'm a um, lifelong runner. Um, been running for as long as I can really remember, I guess. And both my parents were um, both runners. Um, so it's kind of just been a family thing throughout, I guess. Um, so never got away from it. Um, but uh, originally from Seaford in the United Kingdom. And uh, I came to the US in 2008 for a track and field scholarship at Butler University here in Indianapolis. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up here. Um, and uh, just never left. Um, and actually, three weeks ago, I became a US citizen. So I'm here for, um, here for good now. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. you. You buried the lead and you skipped an integral part of your, um, of your, of your kind of development as a runner. You, you also represented the UK um, in the Olympics. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so um, probably the highlight, I guess, of everything I, I did running, but I was um, around the 3000 steeplechase at the 2016 Olympics, uh, which was like an incredible experience. Um, my performance wasn't as much as I'd hoped, but like overall, um, I, I have no real regrets with it. Um, and like just the experience of like everything leading up to that and then the games itself was was pretty incredible. Um, and then fortunately the year after as well, I was also able to compete at a home world championships in London, um, which was also um, really exciting. That was kind of like a unique experience in its own right. That's amazing. And so um, do you have the, are you still in touch with your coaches then now? And are you still running now? And what's that look like? So I, um, I run consistently now. Um, I actually stopped kind of really competing back in 20, 2018. I'd been struggling with some Achilles trouble for, for a little bit. Um, and to the point, I just, it hurt to get out of bed in the morning to walk downstairs. Like it just, it made running really pretty miserable, to be honest. Um, and it kind of all culminated three weeks out from what was supposed to be a marathon debut at Chicago in 2018. Um, and uh, I was running a half marathon in Philadelphia and I made it to sort of, I think it was just before eight miles, whatever it was, it was a, it was miserable because my Achilles kind of fell apart a little bit really at that point. And then I also had to make my way back from eight miles. At, um, it was the rock and roll Philly half mm -hmm. and it was, it was a little bit of a walk, unfortunately. Yeah, that way you're um, like farthest out around the river, right? You got to get all the yeah. way back around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I, um, like I said, that was three weeks out from Chicago. Um, so that kind of put an end to that. And then um, I rehabbed from that um, and actually pretty successfully. Um, but I just got, I think it was around Christmas. I just was back running, I think, three miles every, every other day. Um, and I was just so far from where I wanted to be. Um, I just kind of called it a day. Um, I just, I just wasn't motivated to, to kind of, I guess, get back to, to where I wanted to be. Um, 
but like I said, I have really zero regrets. Um, and now I ended up taking some time off and like just ran kind of just as I felt. And now I run probably in like the 50 to 60 miles a week range. Um, so like a lot more than I was. Um, but I think the break and everything, my Achilles is like, so it's almost like I have a new Achilles. It's kind of a, a weird thing. Um, so I'm like trying to run enough to enjoy it and socialize with the people I run with, um, but also not get back to the point where I can't get out of bed and um, just not enjoy walking down the stairs. Makes sense. If you can't do your normal activities, then it, it's nearly impossible to be able to run the way you want to run. How many how many months or years do you think you took off total um, that allowed you to feel like you have, in your words, a new Achilles? Um, so I had, so it would have been, had a good like three months off immediately from when it happened. Um, and then, like I said, I kind of started running a little bit and then I'd probably give or take I think it was like four to five months of like really not really well essentially nothing um and it was it was probably just the break I needed that um that I hadn't really had the opportunity to take yeah that's important well like you said now um, you're, you're immersed in the running world now with your job yeah. and I assume you know the people you surround yourself with so that's nice that you can now still get out like you said and and run socially so tell us a little bit about what is your position what do you do how did you end up in this position with beyond monumental uh so i'm the event and operations manager for beyond monumental um, and we have a relatively small staff so it kind of i think everyone's job descriptions go a little bit beyond our direct titles um but essentially i'm responsible for um a lot of the operations and logistics around making race day happen um, we do have a really good race director don carr um who's uh has multiple races locally who manages a, a large portion of the race as well um so I, I do have some good people around to kind of take some of the load um but it's uh yeah really just um i just say yes to anything that's requested that sounds like a fun job <laughs> so yeah tell no us i love it tell us about um this year's marathon what what do the numbers look like you know how many people are running what are the different events is registration still open can people still sign up uh yes yeah, so registration is still open and you can definitely still sign up um so we have a 5k a half marathon and the marathon and um so everything's open uh the marathon is kind of i think what we're most known for but yeah so we are um 100% ready to take um, anyone that wants to come and run a fast marathon. Um, we still have places available. Um, and we, we're kind of like, it's kind of exciting actually. We're getting back to pre-pandemic numbers, which is good. Um, so I did pull a few numbers here. Um, so the first year of the race across all distances, we had um, 2,800 finishes back in 2008, that was. Um, in 2012, we were at 9,100. Um, and then 2017 was kind of, I think, where it started to get consistently really big. So we were around 15,000, just a little over 15,000. Um, and that was roughly the same for 2018. 2019 is kind of the biggest ever. 
um, just over 16,000 people um, across the, the three distances. Um, and then last year was actually honestly pretty successful. I think we ended up with 10,000 finishes, um, which I think was a little bit bigger than expected. Um, and it was such a weird year to, to come back to road racing, um, trying to predict the number of people that, that want to come out and run and um, just, yeah, just, I mean, I think the issues are fairly well talked about, but it's just, it was just such a strange year to be in live events like 2020, but then also 2021 where kind of it, it started to come back. Um, and then 2022, I think we're looking um, probably to be around kind of like the 2017, 2018 numbers. Um, so we'll be almost back to, to peak registration and finishes, I think. Well, as um, spectators, we've noticed from afar the increase in popularity of the number of runners talking about Indy Monumental. It's sort of, we perceive it sort of as the CIM of the Midwest, um, known yeah. to be a, a great um, Boston qualifier race and also known for its weather. Can you talk a little bit about what makes the race unique and why you think it's really become increasingly popular with the exception, of course, of 2021. And there were variables, um, most of which have to do, we feel, with the fact that there were so many races squeezed in the fall um, in addition to it being post-COVID. So talk yeah. to us and tell us what makes the race unique and why it's become so popular. Um, so I think there's a uh, multiple things that have, allowed it to become popular um the i guess the easy one is to to talk about versus the weather um the weather typically in early november is just about perfect i think for marathon and half marathon running um so the average temperature is around 50 degrees um and you'll be looking at maybe mid 30s on the start line um and maybe mid 50s at the warmest throughout the day um so really just perfect, I think. Um, on top of that, uh, our course is essentially flat. There's a couple of hills. I'll put those in quotations, I guess. I think they might be hills to maybe people from Indiana, but if you're not from Indiana, um, you, you might not even notice them. Um, but for the most part, it's completely flat. Um, and that combined with the weather, um, really just allows people to come here and achieve whatever they've set out to do. Um, and then we've typically, I think that has led into having relatively deep fields. So we seem to get a lot of finishes around, the, no matter really the time um, that someone's finishing in, there's, the odds are you're going to be with a group of people. Um, so it's just, just a lot of people to run with on a flat course in typically good weather. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's probably the main factor. It just became a place that people knew they could come to reliably to, to achieve their Boston qualifier or, or whatever it is thereafter. Um, outside of that, the, the course is just really, really nice. Um, firstly, it's kind of that late fall, so that the trees are changing colors. Um, and it's just on a sunny day, it just looks really good. And then it is the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon. Uh, so we have um, 12 monuments or highlights along the course, um, which 
we have some signage for um, probably people pay less attention the further they get when they get a little bit more tired. Um, but it, uh, but you run past sort of Lucas Oil Stadium, um, Bankers Life Fieldhouse in the first couple of miles, and then to Monument Circle, so the, the big statue downtown. Uh, and then you'll start kind of heading north from there um, to the Indiana State Fairgrounds, the, the governor's residence. Um, the, uh, then we go past Butler University, which is a really nice campus. Uh, then New Fields, formerly the Indianapolis uh, Museum of Art. Um, so it's a, it's a museum, but you go through the grounds of uh, New Fields. And then from there, you kind of start heading back towards downtown um, and then you'll hit the Taggart Memorial, uh, the Indiana War Memorial, the Depew uh, Memorial Fountain um, and then finally finish at the State House. Um, so you kind of get these big monuments um, every like two to three miles. Um, so it's just, uh, I'd, I'd say it's a very scenic course. You get to run along the White River, uh, various points um and then just through some historic neighborhoods as well it's like a good way to break up the course by the monuments <laughs> to look for yeah. look forward to the monuments you talk you, you reference the in quotation hills where do those come in, in on the course so roughly mile 15 on meridian so kind of the first point you'll start heading south um there's a little bit of a, a hill as you kind of Kind of Meridian Kessler neighborhoods heading into Butler Tarkington. Um, and then another one, I think it's uh, on Hampton, um, like right before you get to Butler University, there's a, another hill. And then that's kind of, that's kind of it, to be honest. Um, and then they're nothing too long. Um, they're just, they're just there. Good. And probably helps mix up the muscles that you're using and you know, yeah, it's very monotonous when it's flat, you know, get a little bit of change in, in the muscles that, that you're using. What is, what is the, the spectator um, support like? Are there spectators along a lot of the course? Are there certain areas where they congregate? Are there places you'd recommend spectators if people have friends and family coming that they, they go to watch? Uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's actually a very spectator-friendly course, I think. So downtown is um, typically where you'll find the, the largest amount of spectators. Um, and I think that's because from the start line, you can you can see participants, friends and families in, in the race probably three times within the first five miles. Um, and that's with you walking from the start line, maybe, maybe half a mile. Um, you can kind of walk a block over to the, the circle um, and you'll catch people at just beyond two miles. Uh, and then if you head a few blocks north, uh, you'll catch people um, just before five miles, I think it is, at kind of Fort Wayne and Pennsylvania, where they head out of the immediate downtown area. And if you want to hang out down there, there's um, once they come back, you just let you go to the other side of the park and you can see them in the last half mile or so. Um, and then outside of that, I think it's fairly easy to get around um, especially on a bike. Um, I think we I think we get a lot of people kind of cycle around on bikes because um, you can kind of zigzag across the course, honestly, as much as you like, I think, to, to see people. Um, once you head north and you get to um, 
kind of the the neighborhoods and you'll start seeing just the crowds just the people coming out of the houses there's a few restaurants and breakfast places you go by that um are just busy anyway so it it just kind of creates more more busyness and excitement around around the course um, and then we put a little bit of time and effort this year into kind of adding some sort of engagement for participants in the areas that we that we know are to be a little bit more quiet um, so hopefully you'll see some exciting things on the course um, in those in those areas um, we've definitely been told the areas and um, where people would like more support um, so uh, we are trying to trying to do something exciting for those places Love that. India is such a nice city because it's got like cute pockets of really cute and vivacious neighborhoods that you kind of encounter. And I feel like a lot of those neighborhoods yeah. um, do are along the race course. So as you mentioned, there, I would assume a lot of people eating outside the weather permits and just kind of watching the race and, and, and waving, which is really nice. Um, so a question that we know many of our listeners would want to know is, what insider tips do you have for someone either running the race for the first time or for a seasoned runner who is going out to Indy to, for example, PR or qualify for Boston? Um, okay, so there's, I think the, the most obvious one is probably a given at most marathons, um, but kind of really fill out the first mile, but probably the first two miles um, and not rely too much on your your watch as well especially if you're using gps um there's a couple of underpasses you'll go under um that might make the data you get from your watch less accurate than um kind of like trusting your training and maybe just trusting the time on the watch as you pass the the mile markers versus what it says um and once you get out of the downtown area i i'd say you probably would have less issues with that but um but i think that's definitely a good way to start the um start your day off well um and give yourself the best chance of being successful late in the race and then um i think just kind of checking the weather is another good one because it can be it can be a little chilly on the start line i think last year was 33 degrees um like immediately at Kind of race start so a little bit colder than normal um so just making sure that if you if we do get a day like that that you're that you are prepared for that um but know that it will probably warm up and and really be pretty nice once you get going those are those are great tips do you have any tips for the start i mean it's not you know with with over ten thousand, you know 12 15 people um, what is the start like? Um, corrals, uh, you know, any tips on getting there early to get into your corral? Are the corrals enforced? Um, you know, is it by time? What are, what are your tips for this for a smooth start? Um, so definitely check out our race day maps. Um, so our start is is I don't know if it's unique, but we have the state house on one side of us, which kind of limits access to either um, from directly south of the start or um, you do have to typically we like people to go up Senate Avenue, which is a kind of a road slash now just pedestrian walkway that cuts through the middle of the state building. And that allows you to get around um, to the corrals probably 
less less in the crowds, I guess, um, and avoiding some of the, the start spectators. Um, but it, definitely doing that earlier is a good thing, um, just because that's the state house does give it a little bit of a busier feel than than what it would do if it. I mean, it's good it's there, but it also in terms of getting thousands of people into crowds, um, it it just limits the the directions that you can physically get to the crowds. Um, so the the earlier the better, um, I would I would say. Um, and then the crowds you'll enter from the the back. Um, so again, if you kind of want to be at the front of your your corral, it's definitely within your interest to to get there a little bit earlier. And do the half and start whole start together are they on the same corrals so that it's just a different bib and they'll split off when when they split yes yeah so half and full start same time at eight o'clock um will be the first wave and then they go every five minutes from there so roughly the last wave will be at 8 20. you'll run the first um essentially seven miles together with the half and the full and then it then it splits off and then you actually rejoin each other um late on i think it's kind of 10 ish 10 yeah roughly around 10 miles in the half and 22 in the marathon is where they kind of rejoin yeah what are, what are the number splits usually i mean in general i know you know this year may still developing but between a full and a half are there more full marathoners and half or more half than full we'd probably guess uh yeah so it, it does skew towards the half marathon um but i think we are um a little bit unique compared to some um in the sense that our marathon is generally pretty big so we're we'll probably be looking at typically it's kind of like four and a half thousand um maybe five thousand this year in the marathon um and then kind of around that six to seven in the half and then um the remaining in the 5k um so it's it's not even but it's definitely closer than what you see at some other races have you experienced or seen any potential for bottlenecking when the two races merge at those different points? Uh, no, not um, not particularly. Um, I think that with the just the where the participants are on the course, it just doesn't happen where the the bulk of the runners and walkers are together. Um, and then the, the lanes are actually split at that point. So um, the half marathon has come straight south on Meridian and they'll be in the left lane. And then the runners, when they join, are in the, the right lane. Um, so there's not, not really too much um, cause for concern or like really you should have a pretty free run at that point. Yeah. What um, what can runners do to make your job easier to make make uh, the, the race directors and you know make what, what can runners do to make, make your job easier and make their experience smoother? The best thing people can do, I think, is actually directly around the start for for us. And it's just um, trying to discard clothing over the fence on either side where possible. I understand that's not necessarily always doable. Um, or just further down the road, essentially, where you can throw it, throw it off and kind of get it out the way. Because um, there is a little bit of a mad scramble to clear the road before the next wave can start. Um, and that all that clothing's donated. There's actually a truck to the left of the start line that it gets loaded into and um, taken straight to the Willow Mission. Um, but that 
really just helping us keep the the pathway clear for the participants um, right at the start line would make it just a huge difference to the to the start. Um, kind of, we've not had any delays with it, but it it can be a challenge sometimes to to get the road clear enough that it's safe for people to to start their race. Yeah, that's a good tip. We know as runners, um, you know, tripping over uh, discarded uh, bottles or carded sweatshirts or whatever is never never a fun way um, to start the race. Um, what What are you looking forward to most about about this year's race? What excites you most about this year's race? Um, honestly, I'm really excited for the next few weeks just to have races back because um, we only have um, four races a year, and the first ones in June and the last ones. November. So I'm firstly, I'm just excited to kind of get through the planning and just see it all come to fruition. But um, but I'm really just excited to see people come to Indy and have a good time. Um, like in my years in the running industry of seeing various people, various training groups, um, training programs I've worked with over the over the years. Um, it's like everyone kind of just has the same ultimately the same goals and they just want to do the same things and have a good time um so i'm kind of excited to hopefully help help people have a good time i think um and hopefully achieve whatever they're they're looking for whether it's a boston qualifier pr um you name it it's like it's just exciting to see it happen well, I'm excited to be there and hope that I'll have a chance to meet you in person when we're there. We have a lot of runners, actually, that we coach that are coming. That was part of the reason of choosing it is getting to meet. We have runners, a runner from Canada, a runner from Ohio. We have runners from all over the country, from Tennessee, coming up to run it. So um, you've got a good uh, representation from around the U.S., and we're excited to bring those runners there and to run the race ourselves. So thank you so much for taking the time. Um, out of what we know is a busy time for you now as you're heading into the final uh, weeks, month and weeks of, of race planning. So thank you so much. And we're looking forward to a great experience. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, th thank you for having me. Thank Bye. you. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others. And please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.